Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Judy Mandel has a lot on her mind. A former reporter and marketing executive, Judy's essays, articles, and short stories have been published here, there, and everywhere. Her first memoir, Replacement Child, made the New York Times bestseller list and was currently followed by the No Holds Barred number two memoir, White Flag. It also focuses on Judy's family. Briefly, Judy finds out that her sensitive, funny niece, Cheryl, has wound up in jail. She promised Cheryl's mom, Judy's sister, that she'd look after her daughters in the hope that this might provide a second chance for Cheryl to kick her drug habit and to get on the straight and narrow. However, it turns out that no amount of love or goodwill can topple the mountain of secrets hiding beneath Cheryl's addiction including sexual abuse, pregnancy, prostitution. Judy dives deep into research on brain chemistry, addiction, and transgenerational trauma. We'll certainly talk about the struggle Judy faces to save Cheryl, and at the risk of stating the obvious, despite the academic of addiction that is so ubiquitous in this country, our prison system provides very little in the way of resources. So enough from me. Let's meet and get to know Judy Mandel. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining me remotely today from Virginia Beach. Thanks so much, Sandy. Thank you for having me, and thank you for that generous introduction. I appreciate it. Well, it's all true. This is sit back and, you know, and enjoy <laughs> the accolades and the accomplishments. So, Judy, you didn't start out to be so personal in your writing. How did you make that switch from being a reporter to being a memoirist? Well, I think I, I felt like I had something I needed to write. I think that is really, you know, what made me make this switch. I've, you know, I always wanted to write different, different things other than, you know, uh, journalism and uh, marketing writing, although I did enjoy doing that too. And a lot of the skills are the same. You know, a lot of the writing skills are the same. But when my parents passed away, especially when my mother passed away, you know, I felt like someone had to tell their story. And, you know, I was really the only one that could do it. Um, and what I, what I found was that um, my mother left me a lot of information to dig through, you know, um, news articles and her writing, trying to write the story of um, how a plane crashed into their, into their home in 1952. This was uh, in uh, Elizabeth, New Jersey and how she rushed um, her mother and a visiting, a visiting girl and my two-year-old sister out of the building, rolling my, my sister Linda down the stairs in a, in a rug, um, yelling for um, my seven-year-old sister uh, Donna, this is before I was born, of course, to run. But of course, Donna couldn't run because she was trapped under a ceiling beam, which she didn't know. Um, my mother running, you know, running down the stairs with um, to chase Linda after she rolled her down and the, the door locked and she knew nobody could get her. And a passerby um, happened to see what happened. They came to the door and he grabbed the baby and and my mother and said, you can't go back in there. And sure enough, the the second floor collapsed right in, in moments after that. Wow. Um, and that's and Donna was Donna was lost during that you know, from that accident. Um, so I felt like somebody needed to tell the story. 
and I was I was the one. Well, certainly it had quite an impact on growing up. You did not, I'm guessing, have a particularly accessible mom, and I don't mean that in a negative way, that she was dealing with the after effects of trauma and her family just basically fell apart. Was it rough for you growing up in that household? Well, you know, as a as a child, you you only know what you know. And right, right. Everything seems everything seems normal because that's the way it's supposed to be, right? You're a kid, but um, certainly my mother had a lot on her hands. My my sister Linda was having um, operations. She was in the hospital once a year, you know, through my whole childhood, and my mother would basically disappear to be with her. You know, um, it was in New York where they usually went for surgeries for skin skin grafts and, you know, reconstruction. Um, And so she was missing a lot. Um, I have to say, though, that my mother was an extraordinary woman. And, you know, I believe she was the hero of the family. Um, So so that's that's true also. But it's also true um, that I, I was the replacement for the child that was lost. Um, and, you know, when you have a, a challenged um, sibling in the family too, there are things that that sibling is not going to be doing as well. So you, you I always felt, I didn't always feel, but when I started writing that book, Replacement Child, I, I realized I was kind of a double replacement child, <laughs> you know, a replacement for the child that, that died. But also, in a sense, a replacement, you know, for the things that Linda would not be able to be doing. Um, and, you know, that's that was quite a realization during the writing of that book. Did you have a dad? Yes. Yes, I had a dad. Mm-hmm. And um, the difference between how my dad treated me and my mother were very different. Um you know, my dad held it together the best he could. You know, I think as you get older, you realize your parents did the best they can, right? Sure. And um, he, but he was uh, reticent with me because in in a sense, it was, you know, I'm here when his, you know, his other daughter's not. And I don't think he really forgave me for that. Wow. I, I think he, I think he tried, but I don't think he really could. So, then some time passes and you begin to work on your second memoir, which is White Flag, also focusing on your family. And explain to us, like I did with a little more detail, because I did only briefly in the introduction, as to the genesis of this memoir. Well, um, my my niece, Cheryl, is, you know, featured in, in White Flag. And um, I did find her in jail after not knowing where she was for a couple of years and thinking, you know, horribly that she maybe had died on the street because I knew she had an addiction problem. Um, and so when I do find her, which turns out was not that hard to do now that I could Google her and I found, I found her mugshot and I found out where she was and I could find, you know, the prison she was in and, and write to her. And we, you know, managed to connect again that way. So, you know, much of the book is me trying to, um, trying to connect with her and, and give her a lifeline, really. But during that time, I really did not understand what I was dealing with. And this book, White Flag, I call it an investigative memoir, 
where I'm really trying to unearth, first of all, the truth about the trauma in my family and how it trickled down, you know, to Cheryl and to all of us. And, you know, so generational trauma. Um, and, you know, the, the complexities of addiction, which I have to say I did not understand. Um, so that's, that was the genesis of this book, is to understand what happened, why, and, you know, why is addiction such a crisis now as it has been for years? Yeah, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same, you mean? That's right. That's right. I mean, there are certainly, you know, outside forces, you know, like, I hate to say, uh, the drug companies that that preyed on addicts and, yeah. you know. And the opioids, yeah. Right, the opioids and I'm going to say Purdue Pharmacy, but there are others. There are others. Um, but also what leads to the addiction, you know, in the person and, you know, finding out about um, what happens to your brain when, you, when you're taking these drugs. Why can't you stop taking them? I know she wanted to. I, I know she did. But understanding that wanting to and being able to are two different things. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, treating the trauma and, um, and the addiction at the same time are also two different things. And you have to have the right help. And nobody, nobody really can do it by themselves. I don't, I don't believe and I've heard others say. Um, they need help. They need the right kind of help. And finding it is very, very difficult. Um, in prison, it was, she was in two prisons. They trans, transferred her. In one prison, she had a group, at least, that she was, you know, getting some help. In the other prison, she had nothing, nothing at all. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping it's getting better, but I think it's uh, very small increments that it's getting better. Yeah. And finding help when you're out is was difficult. You know, well, you're persona it, non grata. You get out of jail and right, you're invisible. Right. You you don't even have a name. You just have a number like you do inside the big house. And it's just um it's just disgraceful. It's outrageous. You can't get a bank account. Um right. that's the other thing. What do you do with your money? That was I right. spent you know, weeks trying to figure out what she could do when she did get a job. Um and getting a job <laughs> is very, very, very difficult. You know, you don't you don't get much of a second chance. Um, I, you know, there are organizations that try to do that. But for me, most of it was understanding what happens, what happens to the person. And, you know, why do they start? Why can't they stop? Why can, why can some people, you know, have a couple of drinks? And another person tells you if they have one drink, they'll be closing the bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, it's a difference in their, their chemical makeup. It's a difference in their, their background and, you know, maybe their level of trauma that they've had. Um, and it's all linked. That's what I, that's what I did discover. One thing I don't, I don't pretend to be an expert on this at all. Um, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a psychiatrist, <laughs> but I did, I did learn a great deal. And I, I think my, my hope is that white flag will have people to, people look at their loved ones who have substance use disorder in a different way that, you know, the person you love is still in there. It's still, it's still them. And, you know, maybe that can open up their heart to that person in a way, not that they should let themselves be abused. That's not, that's not what I'm saying either, but to look at them at least, you know, as the person they love. Well, the fact of the matter is, I'd be very, I'd be very curious as to how 
Cheryl responded to this book? Cheryl, sadly, never got to read this book. I hesitate to even tell you, but she did pass away from an overdose in 2017. So I think that she would be glad to to see it, her life having some meaning through this. And her sister, who I'm really grateful is receiving this, this book in a way that she thinks it will help people. Um, you know, she, she seems to also be supportive of that idea. Well, what did this do for you, Judy, writing this book? Was it more than simply a catharsis? Yeah, I think it, it definitely was a catharsis, but there is an element of that in it. I mean, when, when you know, just trying to uh, forgive yourself <laughs> for maybe not, not, knowing, not knowing what I know now and being able to help in a better way. And also, under, you know, the title of the book, White Flag, has, has several levels of meaning to me. You know, it, it started out as there's, there, there's an element of when there's a uh, extreme weather, the, like the Salvation Army and homeless shelters will, they used to literally raise a white flag that were open to anyone because if they leave people out on the street, they'll die in either extreme cold or heat. And now they do it digitally, but they still do it. They still have, you know, these extreme weather notifications that they'll let them in. So that's a salvation, really. You know, the white flag also with substance abuse disorder is surrender. And really, if the person themselves can't surrender to it, there's really no hope in, in saving them. Well, that's sort of the, was my takeaway in terms of the title, white flag, of raising up the flag because I surrender. Yeah. I can't do anymore. And I'll, I'll tell you that the, the, other, the other thing about White Flag for me was I uh, myself had to surrender to the fact that I was pretty powerless in this, even though, you know, I, I, want, I certainly wanted to help and I did what I knew to do at the time. Now, after, after going through all this, um, I know, you know, that there was nothing I could do. Except enlighten me and a ton of other people. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. That's really my hope in writing this. How has the response been to both memoirs? Well, Replacement Child, as you said, you know, was on the New York Times. Yeah, well, that yeah, and that's no small potatoes, obviously. That was very encouraging. Um, White Flag is just starting out. I'm, you know, getting um, people are interested in it, and I'm going to talk to people about it, and uh, it comes out officially October 1st, so... Um, I'm hoping it's received well. What must that be like for you to take your clothes off for something like this? Because it's so personal. It's your family, even though hopefully you're providing, again, a public service. It's hard. I think memoir writers are brave to do this. You know, and I, it's, it's difficult. It's not, not just myself, but it's, I think it's, it's a very hard thing to do. In, in hopes that it opens up um, doors for other people and, you know, ideas and perceptions. And, you know, maybe my story can help some other people. And I think memoir writers do that. You know, they show you a, a different way that something happened and opens up, you know, as they say, the human condition and what it's like. 
in reality. You know, that's why I find memoirs so interesting. What do you have up your sleeve in terms of m- more personal stories? Um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not doing anything right this minute, but I do have some ideas for some stories. I'd like to try some short fiction. That's what I'd like to try to do. I have, I have done some short stories, but I, I'd like to do more of those. Um, so that, yeah, that's probably my plan. I have some ideas up my sleeve. All writers have, have a, a file probably on their computer now that say right. short story ideas. You know? <laughs> for someone like me, Writing is so not a natural act for me. And I must say it 57 times. And I say it especially to men, to men and women who make their career writing. The fact that I barely can make a shopping list. <laughs> I marvel at, I'm not deifying you, Judy, but I marvel at the fact that, you know, you can sit at that keyboard and I'm not saying that it pours out of you, but that there's, there's I have stories to tell and there's things I want to share and it's all very important. And people want to hear it because you just don't make the New York Times bestseller list because you're sleeping with the editor, you know? <laughs> Which I was not. <laughs> uh, okay, yes, yes. Uh, not indicting you. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, you make a very good point. And I think it is, it is more of a discipline than anything. You know, as they say, you know, butts in seats is what they right. say. Right. Writing, writing uh, instruction that I've gotten is you can't do anything unless you're you sit there and do it. And, you know, even just making yourself write a page a day and then looking it over and putting, or putting it in a drawer for a day and then looking, looking at it the next day and seeing how it is there. You know, it really is true that there's no writing. There's just rewriting. And, yeah. Yeah. And rewriting and rewriting. And, you know, that's, that's what I found. I have to, I really have to have, I must have 15 hard copies of white flag in my office that I can't seem to get rid of because I want to look at the notes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And, then, and then you get into the electronic version and you still make changes. So it's, uh, it's revision and revision and revision. Yeah, but, I would imagine to, that it's hard to, to let it, go. You have to want it to be good and you have to want it to, to read well and, um, and say what you want it to say. That's the important part. Do you see another book in your professional life, whether it be a memoir or a novel? or historical fiction, whatever, do you, is there something burning within you that you want to share um, on the paper? Not right now, not right at the moment, but I, you know, I'm open to it. I didn't see white flag burning in me until it happened. And I, you know, I needed to write it. It's something that, um, I think that's the key is if you feel you need to write it, you will, you know, you will sit down in that seat every day and have the discipline and for me, it had to be almost every day to do it in the morning. Um, and, you know, there's a certain time my brain would, would fog up, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, for me, it's 24-7 is when my brain fogs up. I probably need to go have a cup of coffee, you know. <laughs> right, right. So there's, so it's, it definitely but is. Do you see yourself incorporating your former reporter techniques into something that would be topical? I would love to do that, something like that. I've also started a screenplay and especially about a replacement child, you know, so I'm always looking at different, um, different ways to tell the story. How are these books received by your immediate family? Do you have children? Yes, I have, uh, I have a son and I have, I have one son of my own and uh, three stepsons and they've, they've been very supportive. Um, my, my son, Justin, 
is a, is a social worker. And, uh, and actually my first reader and editor, he's really good at this. Um, and he helped me dive into diffi- the difficult parts of this that he knew because he knows the family. Yeah, he's been very, very supportive. My one stepson is a, uh, a teacher, a professor and uh, in neuroscience. And he helped me a lot in understanding, you know, the chemical changes that happen in, you know, for in drugs people taking drugs, which was very helpful. Um, I don't have a scientific mind, so it was very, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. helpful to have him have him help. But they've all been very supportive. My husband especially has, you know, been my uh, cheerleader telling me that we really need to tell this story and, you know, giving me the space and the time and um, That's wonderful understanding behind that. Explain to me the term transgenerational trauma. Okay, I'll do my best. It's best understood if you if you think about the generations after the Holocaust um, and how that trauma that affected so many people also affected their children and their children's children. And um, it's the same with other kinds of trauma that it does filter down. There's different different outlooks of life that come with a trauma that filter down through people that it's not just in behavior and mentally it's it's actually chemically um and i go into that in in the book a bit you know about uh how hormones react and um in generations and not and and they've proven it in animals as well you know that it's a protective thing for some animals that um is passed down through generations knowing what the trauma is for that particular species. So it's it's interesting to know where you come from and how that affects where you are and how you feel. It really does give you a bigger view of your life. Well, Judy, I mean, it's been nothing short of fascinating to meet, get to know you and hear your story. What it really must be like to take your clothes off like that is just... Um, is so powerful and so potent and also powerful, potent. And for, here's the third P, a public service. Well, thank you for saying that. I really, I do appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. And obviously it's not an original thought on my part, you know, that uh, the New York Times agreed with me. I would like to extend to you um, another invitation. If you're working on something that you'd like to share with us, we'd love to have you back. Oh, thank you. I would love to do that. It was just really, really interesting. Let me, again, name her first memoir, Replacement Child, which, as we said, made the New York Times bestseller list. And then memoir number two, which is another no-holes-barred book, is White Flag, which also focuses on Judy's family. And what a family, Judy. And you do a great job of uh, bringing them to light and to life and I really can't thank you enough for um, taking the time out to have a conversation. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate it. Oh, totally my pleasure. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Sandy Klein.